Hi, I'm Douglas Jackson, and this is the Partners for Better Communities podcast from the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development. Today, our guest is Ladino Martin. She's the Community and Economic Development Director in Floyd County, Virginia. And we're talking to her on the occasion of her graduation in the inaugural class of the Appalachian Leadership Institute. Ladina, thanks for taking some time to be with me today. Thank you, Doug. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. Let me just start off real generally. How do you describe Floyd County to folks when they ask where you're from? I will tell you that I had a first cousin who uh, wrote for a newspaper I won't name on the eastern side of Virginia, and uh, I'm told that we referred to as Planet Floyd there. But um, <laughs> I think of, of Floyd County as a beautiful landscape in the mountains atop the uh, Blue Ridge Plateau, and I think the common commonality among those of us here are that we are really have a sense of tie to the land. You know, we love the land, whether we have, whether we have livestock, whether we have uh, uh, gardens, or, or whether we just enjoy hiking and being outdoors. I, th- I think that's uh, something that really uh, binds us together in spirit. And you've got deep roots there, right? I, I do, I do. From uh, all sides of my family, you know, it, it dates back uh, many generations. And um, so I, I feel very fortunate that, that I'm, you know, able to, um, to be here and, and come back after, uh, after college and, and, and find work in the area. So, so that was good. And I, I would say that, um, you know, like every community, Floyd has its uh, little pockets of, of different thoughts. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, they're a come here. You know, what, what, um, what's that all about? We, we know this place. This is our place. And um, I, really, I really appreciate the, the parable of the workers in the field when they were being decided um, what their wages were going to be for the day and 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 it's so counter to how we think of it but but the parable goes that it it was because they were there that they got wages uh didn't matter how long they had been there that day they all got the same wages and i i think about it the same way with people in floyd doesn't really matter how long you've been here the thing is you've made the choice to be here and um and so you have a you have a seat at the table just like everyone else, and I think those of us who have grown up here, um, or, or you know, been here a long time, certainly there are a lot of things that we know about Floyd that that others don't know and, and might come to appreciate. But by the same token, people who have been elsewhere and come to Floyd know a lot of things that we don't know. So, um, so you know, to the extent that we can kind of uh, learn from each other has always been my favorite thing. That's a really common story, I think, in communities all across the, the country. Uh, and when you can bridge uh, effectively and everybody feels a part of the community and that they can contribute to it, then you've really got something. What are some of your tips for bridging there in Floyd County? I think um, I think there are people that I call bridge people, and they're um, people that are comfortable around all types of people. They may have either, you know, they they may have grown up locally, but they may not have. They just have a way about them, of of being uh, respectful and, and giving everyone dignity and being able to listen to others and um, 
and, and find something to appreciate yeah. about that. And when I come across them, I make a mental note of it because uh, because they are great for this work that, that we do in community and economic development. And there are some great examples in Floyd of organizations that have been able to do that. And one of the earliest ones was Angels in the Attic. It's a thrift store that has many uh, volunteers that come from the faith community, but it bridges all types of people because how can you not love donating stuff you no longer need, keeping it out of the landfill, people can get it for next to nothing, and all of the proceeds go to help local nonprofits and the fire department and the rescue squad. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those common good things. And another example is a food pantry called Plenty. And, and the premise of Plenty is, you know, if, if we all, if we take all the food all around us, there, there is plenty enough for everyone. It's, it's a great group of people, a combination of all uh, political affiliations and, and all along the spectrum, and it's such a rare thing these days, but it's a beautiful thing when it when it comes together. And I think one of the, one of the tips that, I, that I've learned just from watching people that do this well is at least back when we could gather around a table to eat and really just talk together as people, spending that time together as people, not, not in positions, um, but just as people, I think that's that's a really important thing to just keep keep our eyes on on each other as people and the things that we care about, and and we care about most of the same things. Wouldn't it be great when we emerge out from under this pandemic if uh, people, you know, have that urgency about doing that again uh and because we should really you know i think a lot of us are cherishing it now you know we don't we we i'm sure we appreciated it before but now when we're masked and we can't even see the smile when we're in the space together we've just got more barriers to connecting and people do want to connect i think it's 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 fundamental i believe that too i i didn't uh, i didn't volunteer a lot in the community as long as um, as my daughter was was young but but she graduated high school a couple of years ago and and is off in college and so I've had the luxury of of being on the volunteer side of, of some things and a couple of the things that I've chosen to put put that time into is something that we call unity in the community which is a, a group of uh, faith leaders across um, um, you know traditionally, um, uh, white churches and traditionally African-American churches. And um, I really miss that work um, since we've not been able to do it because it, it's just a small group of us, but boy, did it feel important, you know. So I'm with you on um, as, soon as, uh, as soon as we're able to get back together, hopefully we won't take that for granted uh, for a long time to come. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been working for the county? The county created this position in 2004. So I have been working uh, with the county for 16 years. Prior to that, I worked about five years with the Newer Valley Regional Commission, uh, which I loved, by the way. It's uh, The regional organizations are awesome because they can look for those commonalities amongst localities and things that we make sense to do together. But for me as a young planner, it was great because 
I got to dabble in a little bit of everything, um, you know, from from comp plans to the first uh, telecom plans and the first hazard mitigation plans and water and sewer and you know just the whole the whole gamut economic development grant writing. Um, so it was great experience, and I got to work some with Floyd County. One thing led to another, and, and they created a position to be community and economic development, and, and I got the position, and they haven't been able to run me off ever since. <laughs> How does your, your background and training as a planner shape your work in economic development? Well, I, I will confess that I also have an MBA, so I'm you know, I, I like business, and, and, and business is a great thing. Business uh, provides livelihoods for people, and uh, but planning is also a great thing. And thinking about how do we how do we care for our natural resources? How do we have orderly development so that everybody can you know smoothly do what they need to do, and at the least expense to them and to taxpayers. And so, in my mind, there's no uh, conflict between those two things. I I. I often talk about threading the needle uh, when you're in a when you're in a rural community like Floyd that that um, that kind of thrives in its ruralness and 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 relishes that and and likes its um, its small town feeling. Um, that's important. It's important to protect that, um, but at the same time, it's important to um, to have to have growth from the from the standpoint of of things that we still need. You know, we still need more um, good jobs in the county. We still need more living wage uh, jobs and, and jobs with benefits. And, um, and of course, we need the, the tax revenue for being able to invest in, in education and, and, and the things that we need. So, um, so, so that's really, that's really how I um, think about it. And I would say that one thing that has evolved over the 16 years that I've been here is, you know, early uh, when I was first hired, the county, uh, probably why I was hired, the county had uh, done a, a, a joint venture with a private firm to build a 50,000 foot, a square foot shell building, and um, they had five years to fill it uh, before they had to, to, to buy it themselves and I think there was a year and a half left when I was uh, <laughs> when I was hired and um, we, we were just very fortunate working with with another with our regional economic development um, group uh, that we, we were able to get um, a company in there um, but uh, over over time as, as I've gotten more context about the world of economic development and knowing what I know about Floyd, and, and seeing all these sites around Virginia with a thousand acres and you know all of this stuff, you know, I, I, I've I've learned um, that I've learned and I've also tried to help educate um, local leaders along the lines that um, we we are not in the we are not in the mix for you know a future Toyota plant. Um, that that's. You know, it's it's not that it's not that we would turn down uh, a major investment if the opportunity came along. It just it just doesn't make sense to put our very limited resources in pursuit of something that we don't even have land and infrastructure for. And so that's hard. That's hard for people to to accept that. Um, and I only I, I mean I'll tell you I only came to it reluctantly because I always had this this hope of 
of more um, jobs for people that would have what we talked about earlier, that, that would have good wages, that would have um, good benefits, that could even have retirement plans and all those things. And those are very limited in, in most rural communities. But what I've, what I've come around to is that that's still a concern, but where we give most of our attention is to the people that have already chose Floyd. You know, whether they are businesses uh, operating here already, whether it's people living here and thinking about starting a business, whether it's somebody that's got a sole proprietorship, but they really have a passion to grow the business, um, that's where we put much of our energy now and have for several years. And we try to have offerings for businesses no matter what their stage in, you know, starting up all the way to stage four or five businesses. And, and often with the stage four or five businesses, we're, we're helping them look at ROI projects, you know, and how can we make the difference if they're contemplating an investment? Um, how can we possibly help with that? So that's been a real um that's been a, a real. That's been a, something that's felt good to me the last couple of years. That I feel like we've gotten consensus to, to kind of focus on um, light, light industry, um, um, entrepreneurship. You know, tourism, as you know, is, is very important in Floyd. Um, and so that that that's kind of uh, an evolution that I've seen. Well, you've been on that path for a number of years, and I think about projects like your 4C entrepreneurship program. I think you've done six of them now. Your your innovation center, the work that you've done on an ongoing basis. Uh, you've got a, a a specific approach, and then you applied last year to do the Appalachian Leadership Institute, which is uh, which has a focus on economic development. I'm interested in your experience and to what degree uh, that experience in the Leadership Institute reinforced your approach, um, how it made you see Floyd's opportunity uh, coming up. Yeah. Um, well, first thing I would say, it was a very humbling experience on many on many levels. Um, um, so many amazing people that I met from, you know, all 13 states and the speakers that we had and the people that were leading the program were all just phenomenal. Um, it was it was a real privilege to get to do that. Um, it was also humbling because in our little in our little corner of southwest Virginia, most everybody has heard of Floyd or, you know, something like that. So very humbling to to be amongst a, a group of people that, you know, don't know Floyd from from um, you know wherever, um, so so that was humbling. So I got to just be completely, you know, absorbing everything around me. And and prior to the pandemic, we did get to do um, three visits, in-person visits to different communities and, and hearing from leaders. And just you know, I I think it might have been Mark Twain that said to travel is to learn. But it's one of my favorite ways of learning is traveling and. And getting to hear from the town managers, a, a town in uh, Kentucky, about their downtown and all that they had done and the ideas that they were pursuing and trying and just getting to hear from those really passionate people and, um, you know, how they're doing it. And it's, it, a lot of times it's not just so much about what they're doing, but how they're able to do it, how they're bring to, able to bring consensus together. What are the themes that they use to 
to elevate the message so that people can rally around it. Uh, that is a is a part of the learning experience for me too, because I think it's a challenge for many of us right now as we're trying to to bridge, you know, some of the divides and some of the challenges. So, so it was all very humbling, but it was also very inspiring. Um, just to, well, let, let me step back to humbling for a moment. Um, you know, I've I've read I've read about the opioid crisis. You know, dope sick by Beth Macy, and you know, it's been in lots of stuff in the media. And so I've, I've read it, but I but I have to say that I didn't. I hadn't spent a lot of time around people on the front lines of that. And just to hear the extraordinary work that, you know, we would have we would have guest speakers like companies speaking and and there would be other fellows that are deep in this work and they would be pushing them on. Why aren't you willing to hire people that have had addiction and they're coming through it and they're working on it? But in order for them to stick, they've got to have a job so that they can have housing so that so. You know, just to see that leadership and the passion that people have for it. Um, but it was also humbling just to realize the the challenges. Um, you know, one of the sessions we were at, I was complaining with a small group of tables about something, you know, that I was dealing with. And, and uh, a few minutes later, one of them just incidentally was sharing about her town. And I won't name the, the state or the area, but her town... Um, takes turns sometimes because of their water situation with another town. Sometimes one of them has public water turned on and sometimes it's the other one. Um, so just to put into perspective the things that so many of us take for granted, um, just, you know, very, very humbling in that regard. And I think I think that was a learning experience for for those of us in central Appalachia um, as compared to um, some other parts of Appalachia and not to say that not to say that that everything is unique in central Appalachia but there's certainly some things that that feel more intense in central Appalachia especially certain parts of it and so early on you know that was a question in my mind how that was going to work with some communities clearly being um, having some very devastating situations while others um, had different different challenges um, and I thought there could be some tension early on and there was a little bit but by the end the personal relationships that had developed amongst the fellows I think overcame all of that and it, and it gets back to what we were talking about the ability to be able to you know uh, have meals with people and and do that on a regular basis and get to know them as people. And then and then a lot of the judgment falls away for the circumstances that they're in and dealing with. And, and what you see instead is is a person who who is, is you know, has the day, their own day to day things that they're dealing with. But they are just many of them are just heroes for the work that they're doing in the trenches every day, whether it's you know, trying to build more houses, trying to get public water and sewer, trying to meet the opioid crisis, trying to um, have other new job opportunities, trying to bring more training to to people um, so that they can have a better path forward. So I just came away very, very inspired um, by the program. And, and your experience was shaped as well by the pandemic 
So you 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 shifted midstream. Yes, like like the rest of the world, we uh, we shifted midstream to uh, to Zoom meetings, and um, that the, the program features um, um, team some some teamwork, and so we were divided into small groups, and um, so the 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 team challenges were really valuable. So the way that it would work is, you know, you would. Uh, each two-day session would be dedicated to a particular topic, maybe workforce development, and you would have speakers on the topics, um, and then um, and, and we would always have uh, uh, sessions where we would have kind of a meet and greet. It might be a former governor that would be speaking to us about that topic, and and then we would have people kind of on uh, leaders in the field today. And then we would have a, a, an exercise that would be given to us that we would have like we would get it that afternoon or the first day, and then we would have to present to all of our um, um, all of the other fellows the, the next day. And so um, we thought that was challenging when we were in person, but let me tell you, trying to do that by Zoom when we were all uh, overwhelmed with the COVID work in our own jobs was was challenging and. They did. Uh, they did. The leaders recognized that and kind of adjusted so that it was a, a, a little bit less intense work. But um, yeah, so that that was good. That was kind of the model, you know, uh, kind of repetition. Here's some some stuff from from widely known leaders. Here's some stuff from people really trying innovative things, and then kind of get a problem to work on and, and try to apply some of the things you just learned or things that you know from your own work. So that, that's part of their hope is that it will, um, that the fellows will uh, not only help each other, that you'll carry the knowledge back to your community, and then there will be this um, this cross-pollination of, 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 of fellows from different years that will just be able to continue to expand the network and learn from each other and help each other. Yeah, and so your year, uh, you and then there was representation from Wise County. Yes, and then this year, Tazewell County and Wythe County are are represented. Yes, yeah. yes. So if you just finished in November, it's 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 pretty fresh, but you may not have had the reflection time either. Plus, I know everything's been so busy as jurisdictions have worked to get get um, the COVID resources out and and do important work there. So far, has it changed the way you've thought about any of the 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 strategies you're currently implementing, or uh, has it you know either reinforced it or or have or or have you brought some things back that you've said, hey, maybe this is something I want to try? I, I feel like um, I, I will tell you that I I think the last session that we had was the best, and it might have just been because. Um, it might have been the topic, or it might have just been that we kind of, kind of had fully in the emotion come to appreciate what it, what it all really was. Um, but the the last session um, um, was a was kind of around uh, strategic doing, and and I think uh, you're probably familiar with it. But it's um, the the thing that I carried away from most from it, you know, all a long time in. in facilitation training you know you're taught about the visioning and, and getting people to think five years ahead and what would it look like and but 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 it struck me a little different in, in the way that um, that they talked about it and I was I really glummed onto this thing called appreciative questions um, 
and and so I've I've tried to I've been trying to apply that to my own life and my own thought processes about my work. I haven't yet been able to implement it in any anything, but it's definitely affected the way that I'm thinking about it. So as an example, um, well, let me let me give you um, uh, uh, an example from uh, one of one of the fellows, Colby Kirk from Harlan, Kentucky. And uh, he was in my group and we were practicing asking appreciative questions. So instead of saying, you know, for him, instead of he might have said, you know, how can we create jobs in Harlan County? Because he, like myself, works in economic development. Instead of that, the question would be, you know, you use what would it look like if or imagine if. And, and as we were talking about it, he, you know, he's a brilliant guy. And he said, now, how would I, I'm just trying to think about how I would turn that into a question. He came up with it. He said, what if there had never been coal in Harlan County? What would it look like? I, you know, it gave me goosebumps when he said that. Um, so that that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to think, you know, Floyd um, never had coal. Um, Floyd never had furniture plants. Floyd never had um, any major um, plants um, from the old days other than textile. So we didn't we didn't have the big rise and then fall like Southside had or Far Southwest have. We've kind of always been in this um, in this different world where we did have textile cut and sew jobs. We have lots of farms. We had some forestry jobs, um, but but always, um, you know, we've we've relied on a few manufacturers, um, and we've relied on people starting starting businesses, and so that that just gave me kind of a new way to to, to think about it, and um, and it also has has caused me to think about. You know, like everybody, I can get kind of down in my work. Um, I, I, I feel like um, sometimes there are um, just a few voices on any side of an issue can be so loud and ferocious that they just kind of wear you down. And um, I I just, you know, kind of wrote out some thoughts for myself. And, I, you know, I'm like, what if I didn't let those... Uh, those few voices beat me down. What if I tried to keep those in perspective of the larger 15,500 people in the county and, and what, how we're, what we're trying to do? And so on my better days, I'm doing that now. <laughs> you know, I, I think about um, the the quote about uh, in the arena. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And um, you know, when when you're in the arena, people are going to um, going to uh, have have things to say, and 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 that's their right. And and that's you know that's the beauty of where we live, and and that's great. And I want to be more respectful of that, and um, and also just acknowledge when you are in the arena, though, that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, um, and you can make the mistake of being too cautious. It's it's entirely possible that I've made that mistake a lot because, you know, you're trying to, you want to do innovative things, but you also can't get too far out 
front of it that you're not taking measured risks, you know, very, very um, careful um, risks based on all that you know about your community and all the p partners. And so, yeah, I, f I feel like I'm giving you long-winded answers, so just stop me here. <laughs> no, that was a terrific response, and that, that Teddy Roosevelt quote. Yeah, it's it, it's it's and it's spot on. Um, and yeah, we can be risk adverse, and we can as individuals, and we can as certainly as communities. Uh, and there's a connection there. So and that's why these leadership programs are are so important. Um, and taking that time and reflecting and applying it personally, uh, that's I find once I can apply it personally, um, then it then it makes that leap. Yes, organizationally and in, in in the community, and the strategic doing process too. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. We've funded um, some work in the Shenandoah Valley through Santa Creative Community Fund, and they use that kind of like we use Rally in Southwest Virginia. They used strategic doing in a couple of communities, and then regionally they used it to organize their entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, and the thing I love most about it is that 30-day check-in. So it's sure, maybe we've got something we're working toward five years away, but it's really important. What are you, you going to do between now and the next time we see each other at the next meeting? And then you come back in and somebody is kind of designated to be that, to, to be checking in on, on you and re reporting back. I'm glad you mentioned that because that that's something that I have not implemented, but would, would like to figure out what that looks like because... You know, some of the projects that you work on in this line of work, as you know, stretch on for years. And, and I'm thinking particularly of, <clears throat> excuse me, construction, construction projects and especially anything related to transportation. Just, you know, transportation can take a long time. And people can get very weary of hearing, even from the time that you get funding, mm -hmm. And you're working through the process, and literally, it can take years, as you know. And um, and so, you know, how to keep how to keep even our um, the, the groups that we work with immediately kind of motivated through that, because so much of it is this very detailed, you know, uh, paperwork that just it's part of the process. It has to be done, and how to keep everybody at the table and, and motivated and, and not getting discouraged during that, you know. So, um, yeah, that, yeah, any ideas on that are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, that's it. And again, let, let's hope that when we come out of COVID that there's going to be, that people are going to be so happy to be in a meeting that they're going to, you know, they're going to come in. They're going to be so excited to talk about what they had done in the 30 days prior to that. Uh, and that they're, um, and they, maybe, you know, they say this is all changing our sense of time. Uh, and, and it, it, it might regardless any opportunity that, you know, shakes us up a little bit, gives us an opportunity to, to do things a little bit differently. I can give you an example of that. I have, um, we have been, um, hearing for several years about uh, a shortage of housing in Floyd County, like many, many places. And, so um, we had a grassroots group start, Floyd Initiative for Safe Housing. They started in 2017 and have done great work with small, you know, tiny rehab projects, so things that they can do for $1,500 in three days with volunteers, helping houses be safe, warm, and dry. And 
um, we, we've had we've had some some challenges talking about housing more broadly, adding uh, adding more um, housing units in Floyd, and and you know I've worked in, in trying to get um, our, our ordinance changed. Um, and and make townhouses uh, a very kind of easy buy right process and again um, changes changes hard changes hard for some people and and, and some people are, are very very vocal about it and um, I've, I've kind of struggled for the language you know I've tried to use um, the phrase workforce housing um, because that's you know for decades now they've been using it in a place like Denver and Colorado Springs for those people that we depend on. Um, to, uh, every day, and um, but I, I don't think it really started to get any traction until the phrase "essential workers" arose. And from the time that we have begun to talk about essential workers under COVID, I have begun using that term um, related to our housing needs um, because that that that's who it is. It's many people that are you know, making our grocery stores work, making our restaurants work, serving us every day, teachers aides, you know, it's, it's, it's people that, um, that are neighbors, you know, people that we see in normal times all the time. Um, so at least I feel like we've got uh, some handholds for how to talk about it. And we, we still have the challenge of figuring out how to do it. But um, at least I feel like it's given us some new handholds there. Wow, I had thank you. That's that's a really powerful phrase to apply in affordable housing work. Uh, and and yeah, it, coming right out of the, the 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 pandemic. My real worry about this conversation was that there'd be way too much to talk about, and of course that has proven true. I want to thank Ladina for sharing with us her experiences with the Appalachian Leadership Institute and for her ongoing work in Floyd County. And I want to thank you for listening to Partners for Better Communities, a podcast of the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development.